This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. First career interception for Cooper. First and goal. Javante Williams is in. Finally, his first touchdown. <laughs> the Broncos get Javante Williams' first touchdown of the year after, of course, for Catalan recognizing that right. he hadn't had one. Finally, the uh, Broncos defense ends up playing another terrific game. The offense cashes it in like you'd like to see, taking advantage of Charger mistakes, both uh, on the field and potentially off the field on coaching, depending on how you look at Brandon Staley. Joining us to talk about it is Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette. Give him a follow on social at Chris Thomason. That's T-O-M-A-S-S-O-N. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us for this Broncos team, now winners of five of six. The confidence has to be quite a bit up on this team, especially going into a, a situation with Detroit, which the Lions did not play well. They lost. All of a sudden, they look wobbly. The Broncos look comfortable. Is this one of those times where the short week might actually help the Denver Broncos? Well, actually, they've won six of seven. So, oh, um, thank you. Correct. Correct. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, you, you know, uh, a short week. I don't know if that necessarily benefits them because the Broncos have to go two time zones away yeah. in a short week, while uh, Detroit is just coming. You know, they were just on the West Coast and they flew back, and now they go go two more time zones. Um, you know, uh, I'd written about it a couple of weeks ago that they're playing four four straight games in four different time zones and uh, three straight road games now in three different time zones. So I don't know if that's any advantage. Detroit, you know, it's hard to tell what we're going to get from Detroit. They've it is. been uh, up and down uh, lately. I mean, got blown out at Baltimore, lost on Thanksgiving Day to Green Bay, and then obviously losing to the Bears on Sunday, a team that they had to make a frantic comeback to beat a few yep. weeks earlier. So, exactly. yeah, yeah, hard to say what you're going to get out of Detroit, but uh, the Broncos, even though they lost in Houston, I mean, they had an awful first half, but other than that, the last uh, seven games, they've been pretty consistent. And and again, I think you're exactly right. I, I think they're comfortable, uh, consistent, uh, the competitive juices seem to be flowing um, and without cream Jackson out there, not overflowing uh, fortunately. Uh, but uh, I would look at the defense and we talked a ton about the offense yesterday and probably not enough, or at least not as much as we should have about the defense. And I, I know you were playing a banged up team the other day and Herbert went out, but I'll tell you before Herbert went out, he wasn't moving the team any more than Stick did. In fact, Stick led the touchdown drive, not Herbert. So yeah, I mean, the Herbert defense was, is the story still. Yeah, I mean, Herbert was quite mediocre. I mean, he didn't lead them to anything. He got sacked four of the six times. And uh, to me, the huge difference, I mean, the defense has been uh, solid, as we've talked about several times ever since that October 12th loss to Kansas City. But lately, they have really up the pass rush. They have 15 sacks in the last um, three games against Cleveland, Houston, and uh, the Chargers. And they're getting guys sacking the quarterback from all over. I mean, uh, I looked it up in the first 10 games this season. They didn't have a single defensive back make a sack. In the last three games, they have six defensive back sacks. So 
the quarter, the opposing quarterback doesn't know where the pressure's coming from nowadays. Yeah, I mentioned that before you came on. <laughs> the idea that the Broncos exactly. are are sort of simplifying, playing a lot of base, sending pressure from somebody, blitzing somebody every time without tipping it. In this game, the five sacks, none of them came from your edge rushers, which are the guys you expect to generate those sacks. Uh, two from inside linebackers, two from safeties, and one from the cornerback position in, in Jaquan McMillan. So this defense's changeover, which is is almost incomprehensible after that 70-20 to 20 loss over the Dolphins. They've gotten younger. They've gotten faster. They got Justin Simmons back. They got Baron Browning back. And then they lost Kareem Jackson. Is it sort of youth and speed that's making the difference? And how or how much of this credit goes to the turnaround by Vance Joseph's coaching in particular? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I've hardly seen a turnaround like this. I mean, they looked like uh, one of the worst defensive teams in history against Miami. And then even that was in week three, of course, the infamous 70-20 to 20 loss. And even after that for a couple of weeks, I mean, the Bears, when they were winless at the time, pushed them around with their offense. The Jets ran roughshod over them. So it certainly wasn't an immediate fix. But then, boom, you know, everybody thought they'd get blown out in that Thursday Kansas City game. And suddenly the defense played well. And it's like, okay, well, maybe it's just a one-game aberration. But, no, the defense has been um, extremely uh, solid since then. I mean, we've talked about it before with the – Lineup changes, Jaquan McMillan, a huge addition, Fabian Moreau, and then Baron Browning is coming back from injuries. And uh, he's mixed up the schemes a little bit there, mixed up the pressures, I should say, Vance Joseph. And uh, he's keeping teams guessing. And I I thought it was especially impressive because they lost Benito earlier in the game, and he's uh, uh, their uh, leader in sacks this year. And I don't know if it was in the game plan to blitz uh, with all of those guys, but certainly after Benito went out, it seemed to uh, work well. Uh, Looking at at the other side of things, what this defense has been facing, uh, by the end of the year, uh, looking at the schedule, they will have faced six of eight teams using backup quarterbacks, starting with Dobbs of Minnesota, uh, Thompson Robinson of Cleveland uh, stick at least for most of the game last week. And of course you get golf this week, but then you get zappy stick again at O'Connell and the Broncos are making these backups play like backups, aren't they? Yeah, they definitely um, have done that. And, C.J. Stroud, they certainly bothered him. They lost that game, but they certainly bothered him plenty in the second half. All five of the sacks were against him. And, uh, yeah, the Broncos have definitely benefited from backup quarterbacks, but, uh, you know, they did beat uh, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen already. So, and, uh, and they also beat the Packers with Jordan Love, and I understand the Giants did that last night too. But Love is actually with one couple exceptions maybe in the last month five weeks uh, almost six now he's been one of the better uh, quarterbacks in the league I, I I guess what when I I look at where they are right now uh, do they do you get a sense that they're just playing 
or is there a little bit of scoreboard watching going on with respect to the teams uh, right behind them, Cincinnati, Buffalo, the teams ahead of them, Houston, Indy, Pittsburgh, I suppose even Cleveland, although I think Cleveland's in pretty good shape now. Do the players, when you're around, do they tell you that they talk about this stuff, think about this stuff? What other teams are doing, or are they just on such a roll that, hey, let, let the other teams do what they want? As long as we win out, we're in the playoffs. I mean, I think that's uh, human nature. And uh, it was interesting that Javante Williams a couple of weeks ago was uh, talking openly about uh, we're making a Super Bowl run. And then he kind of uh, said yesterday, you know, with a laugh that uh, Coach Payton uh, told him to uh, <laughs> cool kill it. the playoff talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah cool it course, on that. Yeah. Then, of course, Sean Payton comes out, and I asked him on a conference call about the playoff situation. Yeah. And he throws it out well i'm we're only one game behind kids that's so right that's right that. yeah that's so he, right although that is one of the himself. that is although the most stunning at, stat in football that the broncos are one game behind kansas city yeah I, although i looked at the tiebreakers it's going to be it'll very be very tough to catch them it'll because, be very tough uh, a kansas city has to lose a game and uh right. b for division records if if one of those losses isn't against the Chargers or the Raiders then they got to lose to somebody else. Well, Kansas so. City's one of those teams that, that they're just playing AFC teams from here on out. Right? They, they they've got four games left they're all against AFC teams. Most teams still have a game left against the NFC and obviously that includes the Broncos uh against Detroit and you know I again the players don't think of this but I, I'm but if if there's a game you can afford to lose and still make the playoffs, it's probably this one, right? As opposed right, to the other I, three. But consider a division tiebreaker is different than a conference tiebreaker. True, that's true. Uh, so the second division tiebreaker is division. First is head to head. It's even yep. between Kansas City. Second is division. Is division Kansas City's yep. three and one, and the yep. Broncos are two and two. So right. if they have to catch them there. Uh, you know the the KC either has to lose two or one or a loss in there to the Raiders or the Chargers. Yeah, it's probably unlikely. not happening. Yeah. And their other games are against New England and Cincinnati. Yeah. So you yeah. look at the schedule. And Cincinnati at home too. Yeah. You look at this right. You look at the schedule and let's say they lose to Cincinnati and Denver wins out. Well, Kansas City's still the division champion. So it's a long shot for the division. But you hit it on the head there that uh, if, if you're going to lose at one of your last four games, the best one to lose is yep. Detroit because it's against an NFC team because the Broncos are four and five in the AFC conference record, which kind of hurts them in some tiebreakers. Sure but does. Let's say they lose to Detroit, but win their final three, it's a weak schedule. Then they're seven and five in the conference, and then that looks a lot better. It is, it's interesting to look at the quarterbacks. We're talking with Chris Thomason of the Denver Gazette, Chris Thomason on social. 32-team league, 16 teams have had their quarterbacks start all 13 games. Now, <laughs> Russell Wilson is one of them. It is also interesting to note that Russell Wilson is by far the oldest of those 16 quarterbacks that have started all 13 games, by far. The next closest is three years younger, uh, Derek Carr, and he's actually suffered injuries as well. Only Dak Prescott at the age of 30. Those are the only three quarterbacks 30 or older that have made it through all 13 games. 
How valuable has it been for the Broncos, even though the counting stats aren't that big, to know that Russell Wilson, who's been running more than usual, taking more hits, has been as durable and consistently durable as he's been all year? Yeah, it's been uh, extremely valuable. I mean, I can't think of one instance this season where he's even gotten up slowly at at all. So, uh, yeah, that's a tribute to him. I mean, uh, I asked him a couple weeks ago, I did a story about how him talking about how he wants to play 20 years, which would take him to the age of 43. And I talked to several of his teammates, too. And uh, about the only disagreement that they had was uh, what time he gets up in the morning. One player said 4 a.m., one player said 5 a.m. But other than that, they said that, you know, he's up in the morning, he's got a pool at his house, and he's swimming, and he's doing all kinds of crazy exercises before he even gets to the practice facility. So that man works and keeps in shape. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it really is stunning what, what they've done. And it, you think of six out of seven at, after a start of one and five. And one of the little side stories this week is that Peyton did earlier this year remind his team that the Lions last year were one and six, and they almost made the playoffs. They knocked the Packers out in the last day of the season. And this year, the Broncos are 1-5. That's nothing compared to 1-6. and six. And so he compared this year's Broncos to last year's Lions team, and now the Broncos, in a fairly consequential game, are playing those very same Lions. Yeah, he did that when they were 1-5, and five, and uh, that was uh, <laughs> looks potentially fortuitous. Yeah. The um, one team in NFL history did come back from one and six. That was the 1970 Cincinnati Bengals, which is probably the most amazing turnaround ever because it was a 14-game season. They started at one and six and then won their last seven to make the playoffs. Well, that but, was the great um, Paul Brown, one of the all-time great coaches who uh, engineered yeah, that and, turnaround. And Virgil and Carter. Some, Virgil Carter, a quarterback. And that, some that some assistant West Coast offense. Uh, you're, you're right. And some assistant coach uh, uh, went on to do some pretty good things as hell. Oh, some guy named Bill Walsh. Whatever happened to him? Right. As I just said, that was the start of Bill Walsh, yeah. Virgil Carter, in the West Coast offense. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Uh, he is Chris Thomason. Make sure you give him a follow on social at Chris Thomason and pay attention to everything put together at the Denver Gazette for all your very best and latest Broncos coverage. Chris, always good to talk to you. This has been a uh, a fascinating run to get to have these conversations regularly over the course of the season. And uh, obviously, you know, you're sort of relatively uh, new welcome back to town. Obviously, been here many times before and back this year, but uh, obviously recovering the Vikings for a little bit. But the opportunity of this uh, eight-season drought to come to an end would be rather remarkable. So appreciate all your insights. Thank you. Great talking to you guys. All right. Thanks, Chris Thomason, joining us. And, and that's what it would be. It's, that's the amazing part. You know, you start to run into people, the Broncos. Last winning season was in 2016. And they did not make the playoffs. And they were 9-7. But 2016 was seven years ago, folks. It feels While it feels like it's forever, it's really been forever. Yeah. The Broncos and the Jets are the only teams to have this many straight seasons without a playoff appearance. The yeah. Jets aren't going to break theirs. But the Broncos at this point have it in their control to break their own. They do. They do. And, of course, that would require winning out. Um, you know, if... Detroit beats them, they'll go to seven and seven, and that you know, will set them back because all these teams aren't going to lose. Uh, if, if you're talking about eight and five teams, 
Kansas City, Jacksonville, Cleveland. That's that's the problem when they're all clumped because not they're everybody clumped, can not lose. Not everybody can lose. Right. <laughs> so, somebody's got to win uh, some of these games. And I'm just looking. We've got uh, uh, Indy and Pittsburgh this week, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Houston at Tennessee. Unless you think, well, Tennessee, not any good. Uh, you should have watched last yeah, night. Yeah, last night. When, when they were dead to rights. I I loved Mike Vrabel at the end of the first quarter. Now, I don't know how they're managing to do this, but the league has convinced, I guess, certain coaches that, to talk after the at first the quarter, quarter yeah. the quarter break, like the NBA coaches do, right? After the first and third quarters, mm-hmm. the NBA coaches talk. And most of them wouldn't say anything. Vrabel is is kind of smirking. It's seven to nothing. Tennessee has done nothing, nothing right up to that point. And he's kind of laughing about it because they, it, I, I can't remember who was doing the questioning. And it was, the questions were bad, but it was <laughs> the questioner was trying to come up with some way of saying, hey, it's only seven to nothing, even though you haven't done squat. Mm-hmm. And Vrabel kind of anticipated that and understood that she was struggling to try to get the question. Come up with says, something nice. No, we, we really haven't done anything, but we're, we're, uh, we can't get much worse. And he had a kind of a smile on his face. And I said, you know what? It is only seven to nothing. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if Tyreek hurt uh, his, uh, Tyreek Hill had hurt his ankle by then. But I think, mean, you know, Tennessee is, Vrabel's one of those coaches. He loves a rock fight, and that game, t- he made that game less of a speed game, and it helped with Hill getting hurt, and more of a rock fight, and they won the rock fight. The Tennessee Titans came back scoring two touchdowns in the final two minutes and 40 seconds of the game. The first team in, in the NFL in 767 games. Exactly. To be down two touchdowns with fewer than three minutes, three minutes to, go to go and win the game. And win. So don't shortchange. And you know what I love the Titans. And, and I know you get crazy about these things sometimes. It's 27 to 19, and they went for two mm-hmm. because they wanted to know if they missed, then they'd have to go for get two the change. next time. But if they made it, all they'd have to do is kick the extra point and win the game. Worked out. They ended up getting that win. That was the play. And, yes, that's what the analytics tell you to do when you're down eight. Late in the game like that, go for two after you score. The news up in Boulder is almost uniformly good. And we say Boulder in particular because basketball, going well. Football, going well. We'll talk about both of them and get you all caught up next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. In the pocket, empty backfield. Stop, takes a shot for the end zone. Diving catch, touchdown. What a catch. Travis Hunter laying out in Colorado. Can take the lead with the extra point. 
29 yards. And look how happy he is. Maya. From the Pac-12 Network, of course, you heard that a lot this year. Despite the fact he missed three games, sophomore, two-way player, quarterback, wide receiver, Travis Hunter. Well, I took him out of the high school. Yes. First team All-American. Uh, the first CU player to be first team All-American since uh, offensive lineman Nate Solder back in 2010. So 13 years since you've had a, a first team All-American, which is really remarkable. Nate uh, Solder won some Super Bowls, did he not? Uh, did. He did. And the 13-year gap between that, by the way, is the largest yeah. since 1937's Byron Wizard White, who went to further fame as a Supreme Court justice, and Don Branby in 1952. Otherwise, this is the largest gap since then. But I'm Not surprised. Uh, Hunter won the Paul Horning Award, by the way, as the most versatile player in the country. That was a no-brainer. Uh, Pac-12 coaches voted him for first team at defensive back. Uh, and second team at the all-purpose spot, and AP named him first-team all-conference, all-purpose, and second-team at quarterback. 1,002 snaps from scrimmage, Sandy. 436 on offense, 566 on defense, another 30 on special teams in nine games. You can do the math on that. More than 100 plays per game on average for Travis Hunter, who excelled at both. The last player to get 40 catches and three picks in the same season, former Denver Bronco champ Bailey when he was in Georgia in 1998. I thought the only time that he might have been stressed a bit was the game he came back and, and played against Stanford, and I, I thought they played him too much. I agree. And he got tired in the second half. And he and took a few he shots. Got burned in coverage uh, a few times in the second half only because he was tired. Uh, but the most Amazing athletic feat I've seen around here in quite some time, maybe since Manning in 2012 coming off four neck surgeries in a 19-month period, was that this kid's performance on opening day in the heat and humidity of Fort Worth. And and I don't know what it was that day, 130 snaps, maybe more. I think it was more. On offense and defense. And he was he was great on every snap. I mean, he didn't have a bad moment. He was the best player on the field. Well, he was, case. and if you were going on the first month, maybe he's not your number one choice for the Heisman after the first month, but he ain't far behind, and he's a better choice than Marvin Harrison, who was a finalist by mm-hmm. the end of the year for the Heisman. Uh, I, I don't think there was any problem with Marvin Harrison. Oh, not at all. I'm just I'm choice, saying the three yes. games that Hunter missed took him out of it, mm-hmm. but as great as and, and Harrison's probably a better receiver than Travis Hunter. Yeah. But uh, Travis Hunter plays, plays corner. And plays corner the time. at an elite yep. collegiate level. I mean, a remarkable year. The future is very, very bright uh, for Hunter, obviously. And, and, and things get better for the Buffs uh, football team as well. The transfer portal opens. Deion Sanders seems like he's doing his thing again on Saturday. Four different starting linemen from FBS teams uh, committed to transfer to the Buffaloes. That would be Akiri Walker from UConn. Uh, guards Tyler Johnson from Houston and Justin Myers from UTEP. Tackle Khalil Benson from Indiana. All announced those commitments. And, of course, they landed the top recruit among all offensive linemen in the country. Five-star tackle Jordan Seaton a couple days before that last week. That's a now, with the exception of Seaton, presumably, that's an experienced offensive line. They've basically, they basically brought in a whole new offensive line. The starters are already there right off well, the bat. Now, I, I like the problem with offensive the line is you have 
to have reps. You have to have reps. But the talent is Absolutely. already vastly improved. Oh, I think so. And they didn't have a five-star recruit coming in no. last year on the offensive line. Uh, school record, 56 sacks allowed. Uh, the worst rushing offense in the country. Yeah. You need an so offensive line. So there's plenty line. of room for improvement. Um, they can't go any place but up with respect to reducing the sacks and averaging more than two-point-something per How about rush. this number, Sandy? According to Pro Football Focus's collegiate tracking, the four linemen that came to the Buffaloes had 2,962 pass-blocking snaps over the past two seasons in their 76 combined career starts. They've given up a combined eight sacks. That's how you turn things around. Now, they need to get rhythm with one another. Yes. And that's not easy to microwave. But, but certainly the, the talent 12. It is the is Big better. 12. Yeah. It is the Big 12, and it's the Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma. It is not the Pac-12. Uh, fully formed, uh, at least in this final season, fully formed. So, I, I see uh, plenty of good signs, and probably uh, when they lost the tight end who we both liked. Oh, yeah, Harrison. Uh, they had an idea that in the portal they could. And they were getting one, and they got they got Cincinnati's tight end in that in that portal who is experienced and presumably will immediately be the, the starter for the Buffs as well. So uh, the offense getting a little bit of energy, a little bit of juice, a little bit of youth, not from their offensive coordinator. That's still Pat Shermer, apparently. But apparently. Okay, I guess we'll see how that goes along over I like the course the other of the season. Coaching hires. Yeah, I mean, I think Phil Lodeholt being brought over from yeah. Oklahoma where he was an Excellent. analyst to go ahead and, and coach the offensive line, and that had a factor in all of these moves. Oh, I uh, Seton had kind of been given the the, the word that Lodeholt was coming. Uh, obviously, there was some familiarity there before from the recruiting sort of whirlwind that five-star guys get. And then uh, when Seton came, the idea was that was going to unlock a few other guys who were trying to figure out where to go, and that's exactly what happened. And that's what we talked about when they landed Seton, so good news there. On the basketball side, Tristan De Silva named the Pac-12 Conference Player of the Week after his tremendous performance on the weekend against number 15 Miami, a game in which CU routed Miami despite not having their own five-star freshman Cody Williams who missed the game. Uh, De Silva had a very interesting note. Uh, Talking about a almost, you know, it had such a terrific game. He had 22 points, 10 boards, and nine assists, scoring 18 of those 22 in the second half. Yep. That uh, missing by one assist to be the only the second CU player to ever have a triple double. Now, the guy who has it, mm, you can probably guess. Go through CU basketball history. Who's the first name that comes to mind? It would be one thrill from Park Hill, Mr. Big yep. Shot, Chauncey Billups. You'd be right. Yep. But De Silva came close to that, and it's his second. Uh, player of the week, conference player of the week. Oh, I award. bet he gets one. I, I I think he'll get one before the season ends. I don't know about scoring twenty plus points in addition to having double digit rebounds. But what a what a tremendous assists. performance but in in like that a game. 15, 10, and ten. I could see that. And and you know he wasn't shooting wildly in that game. He shot a very high percentage. He made every play correctly. He, he was more assertive, but he made every read uh, the right way, uh, played the right way. And it's not new. This was and a guy that was on all the watch lists for so many I, of the awards. I mean, yes, he had 22, but they scored, what was it, 90, 91? 90, yeah. And so, yeah, 90, 63. So, 
Yeah. And that's back, that's back to back wins. Sixty eight points came from other guys, right. which is reflected by the assist total. But De Silva has has led the team in points now for four of the games. He has led the team in rebounds for three of the games. He's led the team in assists for two of the games. <laughs> I, I don't really know what else you want yeah. out, out of a, a forward who can play I, the way that Tristan De Silva plays. I thought he, he, he started maybe a bit slowly, uh, especially with the shooting. In Miami, boys, he did he for sure, especially that 2% start. Yeah, but. yeah, he got off to a slow start. But now what I notice with him, he is stronger He's strong. than he was. Yeah, And he is really filled out. And if he starts uh, from the field two for seven, it doesn't phase him. And I think he understood the other day that without Williams, they needed him as a scorer. Six nine two twenty. You know, he's a, he's a big guy who can do a. And they needed him on the boards. He leads the team yeah. in minutes per game at yeah. at, at thirty yeah. plus. I mean, yeah. he's a little over thirty minutes a game in yeah. college basketball. That's a big number. That, that's a good number. And uh, you know, he he had help the other day because uh, I thought Hadley was terrific. Uh, Lampkin had a good game. Had to mm-hmm. play a few more minutes. Starting to get a little healthier so for him. He yeah. may be getting stronger too. Um, uh, you know, O'Brien off the bench was great. Uh, KJ Simpson outstanding uh, again. And uh, you know, I, some of the reserves who who ordinarily wouldn't get to play mm-hmm. because Williams is out, and they got way ahead late in the game. They got him in there, and and that's good because they're young, and. Tad mentioned to us last week right. that they're bringing in uh, two or three four stars mm-hmm. who will be eligible next year when Tad thinks Williams will leave. Now, I'm not totally convinced of that, especially if he misses some games with the injury, right. that he does need to get stronger. And I don't know. I, I think a guy like that should come back for a second season. I'm not saying he should stay three or four years, but it would benefit him to come back. I I use this example all the time because I watched him play for one year at Kansas, but Grady Dick got drafted, not in the top 10, even though most everybody thought he'd go in mm-hmm. the top 10. Now, he was a lottery pick. He went right. 13th. I get it. But a week ago, I know they called him up, but a week ago, he's in the G League. Now, right. why the Hell, would you rather would be? You, would you rather be starting for Kansas right now? And and it, it, that's a shock. Listen, I, I guarantee you, when he was drafted by Toronto, that Masai told him, "You're not going to be playing 20 minutes a game from the jump." And I, I'm sorry, maybe I'll be proven to look silly on this. Christian Brown was more ready to be an NBA player for maybe not 20 minutes a night, but mm-hmm. pretty damn close to it, then this year Grady Dick is ready. And Cody Williams as a player. freshman is is listed at 6'8", 190. Right. There's a little bit they of a fill filling out. out a little bit. Fill out. Fill out. Start to dom- dominate and, and, and then know, go the, pro. Who was the kid who ended up in Portland and hasn't been heard from since? who played for CU and was going to be a 2010 guy if he came back. And he went into the draft and he got drafted right at the end of the draft in the, in the fifties. Right. Right. Danny, do you remember? Wa- Walker, right? Wasn't Walker. A, yeah. Walker, right? Jabari Walker. Jabari Walker. Jabari Walker, who is now languishing on some bench 
Maybe me in the G League for all. And, he, I and he'd be on. He'd be on this team right he'd now. Be on this team right now. It's a and after that win, junior. by the way, Colorado, uh, Colorado State, by the way, mind you, even if they lost, it's seventeen. Yeah. But Colorado was the top team in by far votes. in the others receiving votes. So if you want to put it that way, they're they're twenty sixth. Yeah. They That's play right. Northern Colorado, Tad Boyle's old yeah. school. Yeah, um, probably won't help the Friday. Rankings. That probably won't help the rankings unless you, well, you won't help the rankings if you lose. But it, but obviously you have to win. I'll tell you what, they play Washington here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Conference schedule when starts Conference soon. schedule starts. And if they beat Washington, as CSU did, mm-hmm. they'll be ranked. Because yeah. Washington's pretty good. So they're, they're in, they're in a, a, a good spot. So all systems go up in Boulder. And you know as we pointed out, not too shabby. Pac-12 is pretty good. Now, I, I think the Pac-12, relatively speaking, was better as a football conference this now, Here's year the problem. The as a Big 12 conference. as a basketball conference might already oh. be the best in the country, and next year it definitely will be. Uh, definitely will be. Definitely. And that's why, uh, you know, it's nice to have five stars, but having two or three four stars. Uh, you're going to need in, some reinforcements. You'll need, you'll need it. For yeah, Big 12 because yeah, everyone thinks of it as rightly so. Oh, it's football conference, football country. That's true. No. The basketball conference is even it's, better. It's been a basketball conference for yeah. decades. Now. It's stacked. So good news up in Boulder. And as we mentioned, of course, uh, don't want to ignore the fact that University of Colorado, or Colorado State HC is at 9-1 and one and uh, still 17th in the country. So good news there. Well, yeah, they didn't get uh, knocked in. Uh, no, good, uh, good for the people doing the voting right. to understand that a tough defensive first, team and they're playing St. Mary's. Had a couple guys Mary's you forget about their record. St. Mary's is, is a good team. And CSU doesn't have a top reserve and a starter right. at the moment. And still and still and they still hung in there. It, you know, they three. had a shot to win at the end. Just didn't make it. And it was not a great game for Stevens. It was a good game, but not a great game. And without the key players, they needed a great game from him and Nobody played great. They had a lot of good performances, but nobody played great. And uh, what I loved was that the crowd was entered right up until the end. Even though they were down yeah. by nine, I think, within the last five or six minutes of the game, and I had to come back and make a game. Good national showing for the crowd at Moby, too, so good job on the fans. The Denver Nuggets had a game in which they lost by seven, or well, pardon me, one by seven last night. Felt like they won by 20. They seem well, to get right. It's kind of the right. reverse of the Houston game. Yeah, we'll have they an opportunity to take a look night, at that and then what it means for tonight because the Nuggets are on the second night of a back-to-back next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Before we came out in the court tonight, I challenged the starters. I said, you guys have an obligation to get us off to a great start. And we have to get back to playing with a sense of urgency and understand that we are the hunted. We are the reigning NBA champions. We are going to get everybody's best. That team had lost three in a row like we had lost three in a row. So I don't want anybody easing into the game. And I felt our starters... Um, did a pretty good job of that tonight. And uh, listen, we can get a lot better. Um, and we have another opportunity tomorrow night in Chicago. That is Nuggets coach Michael Malone from Altitude Television Excellent. after the game That's last right. night. And uh, they didn't get off to the best start. They did after last night in Atlanta at the first quarter be trailing 36 to 28. True. But then they flipped that. They a little bit of judo the in the second when they outscored them 37 26. Because the bench then, was better and Strother in yeah, particular. After halftime, it was off to the races. The Nuggets kind of put the game away more or less early. They, they did get a little uh, relaxed in the, in, the fourth and, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, we're outscored by 10. 
going on. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Bogdan Bogdanovic goes for 40 off the bench. The uh, Serbian uh, national teammate of yep. Nikola Jokic. And Jokic is saying after the game, that's the way that's what he, he used played to like. before he got hurt. Yeah, uh, and, and we, you've seen him put up big games as, as oh, a shooter. Oh, man. Trey Young gets himself ejected right at the tail end of the third. He wasn't yeah. having a particularly game, good game. No, he wasn't. And uh, just kind of had seemed to have almost had it. Uh, that obviously, I think, caused problems. But for the Nuggets, you know, they had all their starters. Michael Porter Jr. had a bad shooting night, one for 11, but contributed in other ways, which I think is part of his maturation as well. Yep. Uh, rebounded. Uh, actually, had three assists, which is a big number for him. Uh, just the one turnover, so he's not a mistake player last night. Uh, played 26 minutes and was plus 12. And Despite nobody else on the Nuggets three points. Uh, was... Uh, uh, plus 12, and I'm not sure anybody else on the court was either. So uh, the, the plus 12, and listen, plus minuses and everything. Porter did not have a particularly good game. But but he wasn't, a, but he was wasn't the a best zero figure on the floor. He wasn't he zero, yeah. and he wasn't a minus player. He didn't sulk. Uh, yeah, he went and did other things. Did so other things. Good for and, him. And, uh, you know, Strother got big minutes. He, he got the big minutes because he yep. was earning them. And he was there at both ends of the floor last night, which has not been the case very often uh, this year, even on his good scoring nights. He's been a liability defensively last night. And I know steals by themselves don't constitute great defense, but last night his defense is excellent. He was disruptive. Five steals? Five steals. To go with 22 points, including six for 11 from three, a new career high for Strother off the bench. That's really valuable. Uh, Aaron Gordon to 12 rebounds, a huge number for him. I thought and, he was excellent. He was great. Night. And he Jamal Murray uh, played 29 minutes and was 12 for 15. Absolutely on point. Now, he won't play tonight in the second night of a back-to-back as the Nuggets continue to ease him back. But if the idea was... Jokic is only 9 for 13. We'll continue to work with Jamal and to make sure he doesn't get rusty. Well, mission accomplished, appears the shot was good to go. Jokic, as you pointed out, kind of back on track. 9 for 13 shooting. Uh, on the night for Jokic, you, eight, eight, eight rebounds. See the Fewer than usual because Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. Right. are soaking them all up. Jamal right. Murray had more boards, too. Nine boards nine for Murray, boards. Uh, nine that? assists for Jokic. So, I mean, the rebounding by the starters was outstanding last night. Well, uh, you know, they had a lot more rebounds because they, they shot a higher percentage than Atlanta did. But even on the offensive glass, 14-13 for Denver, very good. Jokic and Murray combined 21 of 28 on field goals, five of six on three, seven of eight at the line, 17 rebounds between the two. And as you say, Murray actually had nine of the 17 and uh, the assist to turnover ratio, 13 to seven. You can live with that as a team. Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. So uh, and the uh, Nuggets were 29 and 16 last night. So the 16 uh, turnovers a little high. A lot of them came in the fourth. Uh, they got sloppy late. Atlanta went 25 and 10 assisted turnover a little bit better, but um, the Nuggets got to the line 29 times to yeah. 18 for Atlanta. That's, that, you know, and that's a that. big part of the story because the Nuggets obviously are not a team that shoots a lot of free throws. And so getting that is going to be a big difference maker. And to do that, it takes, look, it takes a little bit of work. When you're a jump shooting team, you're not going to get a lot of free throws. Now, that's not suggesting you pass up one of these wide open shots because Nikola Jokic found you out, you know, out of the blue. But at the same time, it does not hurt to go ahead and crash that that net a little bit and get into the lane. Uh, Kentavious Caldwell Pope led the team with eight free throw attempts and, and forcing the action. And I think for the Nuggets, at times that might be the piece of the puzzle they're missing. That when the shots aren't falling, 
they don't get a little more aggressive and put their nose to the grindstone and go to the basket because you'll, you're not making the shots. You'll earn them at the stripe. I think that's something the Nuggets have to do better at, and I thought last night was a good sign. And this game coming up tonight, uh, one of those games where uh, you know that Chicago has scoring, but they really don't play at the other end of the floor. Yeah, but DeMar DeRozan, by, by the way, last game, 41 points. Yeah. So, uh, well, yeah, scoring is, you know, is available. Scoring is not their problem. No. No. I witnessed the game they played last night against the Bucks, where they lost in overtime and the score was in the upper 130s yeah. on both sides. I think. Yeah. Uh, that That's who they are. The Bulls and, make you know, 12 three-pointers a game. They shoot yeah, a lot yeah, from they're, the outside. They're, they're they they, do, they do shoot it well, and they shoot a lot of it. I think uh, Nikola Vucevic has occasionally been a problem for uh, the Nuggets at times, and he's actually one of their better players, uh, You know, averaging 16 points a game and 44.8 yeah, shooting. They're, they're, their individual talent. Isn't bad. It, it does all. feel like it's but a bit of a less than you expect. And granted, the they don't have don't Zach Levine, Lonzo Ball. Uh, obviously, those two guys are out. When and, they lost Lonzo tough. Ball, what was it, last year? Mm-hmm. Early last year? And they won't have him this year. Right. Um, it just changed everything. It really did. That You know, you have a primary ball handler and all that sort of stuff that, that's able to distribute and... It, it really did. It it stung him. And so they're a, bit, a little bit discombobulated. And I feel bad for Arturis because I, I think he's had the right idea. I think they have a pretty good coach in Billy Donovan. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's just not it's not working out there for whatever reason. Uh, you know, and you look, I think you look for the most part at both conferences, the teams at the bottom I'll exempt Golden State in the West because I think Golden State will move I, yeah, up. Yeah, I do too. But I'm not Definitely sure about so. the East. I, I kind of think Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte, Washington, and Detroit for sure, they're going to be the bottom feeders. I, I think, uh, you know, you say, well, there might not be very much to choose among Brooklyn, Atlanta, and Toronto. Uh, Toronto could move up, I suppose. But I think there are at least eight NBA teams and we're not even at the one-third mark of the season, that have basically eliminated themselves, not only from playoff consideration, but play-in tournament consideration. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some bad teams in the league right now. The Bulls are not one of those really bad ones, but they're... No, but they're one of those eight. They're yeah, one of those eight. And, and some of that does have to do with injury. Utah's one of those eight. And I, I don't... I, I, I thought Utah... The big problem in Utah was that they overachieved last year. And now they come into this year, and you're expecting them to be as good as they yeah. were last year. And they were ahead of schedule last year, and and this year they're they're sliding back, and they've had some injuries. Without too. Murray tonight, do you think do you expect the Nuggets to have much trouble? Now I will say that no. I, would, I expect a good performance I, I out of Tory Craig because every time the Nuggets come to town, Tory Craig looks good. Uh, but I, I I do too. I think DeRozan is going to get his points. I'm just not sure that they have anyone else going to be able to do too much. I think. Uh, Vucevic is a good player, but he's not Nikola Jokic. I think you'll get a better shooting performance from Michael Porter Jr. than you yeah. did. Oh, yeah. uh, you won't have Murray, and that hurts, but we've seen Reggie Jackson in that role. To me, I want to see the bench again. I want to see Ju- Julian Strother. He doesn't need 22 again, but I want to see another good game. Yeah, I want to, I solid want to, performance. This is the opportunity here. Uh, you know? He has an opportunity with Murray out tonight. Yeah, you're going to get big he minutes He can get again. minutes. He can get minutes. Um, Christian Brown is just a great basketball citizen. He plays 11 minutes last night. I thought he was good. And, uh, you know, and I feel like he'll play more tonight for sure. Yeah, he'll so. play more than 11. 
You yeah. will need uh, that, absolutely. So we'll find out tonight what the Nuggets do against the Bulls in their second night of a back-to-back, and we'll break that all down for you tomorrow as well. So what we do in this show, every team every day, we've hit the, uh, the Broncos, the Buffs, basketball and football. We've talked about the Nuggets. We've talked about the Avs. And that's everything we do here. So you, we'll get you all the best on uh, on football, but we'll get you everything. That's what we do every day here. Thanks to Chris Thomason from the Denver Gazette for joining us and breaking down the latest on the Broncos. If you missed any part of it, uh, Sandy talked about the Tad Boyle interview that we had last week. If you missed some of that because he talked about his plans for all of December with us, you can go to MyLifeSports.com or the free My Life Sports app and have all of it in your pocket. Thanks to all of you for listening and contributing on the call and text line. I pre- always appreciate it. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. We'll be back tomorrow for more. It'll be a Wednesday. You'll already be most of the way through your work week, so something to look forward to already. I'm Sean Drotar. He's Sandy Clough. We're stepping away, but you can leave it right here on My Life Sports.